welcome. My name is Andy Fernandez. And my name is Michael Fernandez. And welcome to another episode of What Makes It Great. We are talking about the 1933 film Duck Soup, directed by Leo McCary, number 85 on the original AFI list, and number 60 on the updated list. Moved up, what is that, 25 spots? Yeah, 25. That's awesome. Well deserved. <laughs> yes. And looking at the list at when we first started this, um, I had seen only one or two of the movies that we have watched up to this point. And this was the definitely, when I looked at the list in its entirety, this was the first earliest movie that I'm like, okay, this is the earliest movie that I know that I like. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this is the earliest movie that I've seen. Yeah, and this movie is fantastic. And not only have I seen it, let me, let me backtrack there, seen it a bunch of times, um, definitely in the double digits. Um, the movie's only like an hour long, but this is one of those movies that uh, we grew up with. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually just talked to dad like yesterday about uh, this movie. I told him that we were mm-hmm. doing this because he's getting really into the podcast. And uh, he was like, oh, man, I remember the first time I watched this movie. And he <laughs> told me the story of when he watched it when he was in the seminary somewhere in Chicago, somebody's house, and they had it. Um, and <laughs> I was watching it, and I just couldn't help thinking of dad the whole time. I was like, this is dad's humor to a T. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what I grew up with. and now it's my humor and it's so funny (laughs) i love this movie and to talk a little bit about so this is a marx brothers movie Mm -hmm. um and like michael's talked about we grew up uh adoring the marx brothers i think we had a couple of them on vhs the earliest one i remember watching was a night in casablanca Mm -hmm. which is for all intents and purposes their final film they had one more after that but it's called love happy i've never seen it or anything but no i didn't even um, know yeah, this the, A Night in Casablanca was like in 46, 1946 or something. It was a late movie of theirs, and I thought it was hilarious. Um, we watched that one so many times on our V, we wore that VHS out. Um, and then we would go to Blockbuster Video and rent some of the other ones occasionally. Mm-hmm. And some of the more popular ones that I remember renting a lot and eventually owning were Monkey Business, mm-hmm. um, Duck Soup. A yep. Night at the Opera, A Day at the Races. Day at the Races, yeah. Um, those were the ones that we kind of would go to over and over and over again. Yeah. But um, Duck Soup is definitely one that I have seen probably the most out of all of those. Maybe A Night in Casablanca I've seen more, but Duck Soup, if not number one, it's definitely number two. Yeah, same. We should talk about the Marx Brothers. We should introduce the Marx Brothers here. Yeah, we should. Um, well, they are a group of Jewish brothers. They are real brothers, and they grew up in show business, performing vaudeville music and comedy acts. They're like from like the stage. Upper East Side in like yeah. New York or something. Born, mm-hmm. I think, like in the eighteen eighties. To uh, I think Zeppo is the youngest, and he's born in the early nineteen hundreds or something like mm-hmm. that. I believe so. Yeah, and their parents kind of—they were like a show business family. They grew up in it, and they were. They were really heavy into it on stage, eventually getting to Broadway and touring productions. And uh, their first two movies that they made, The Coconuts and Animal Crackers, were adaptations of stage plays that they did on Broadway and that they toured around the country. Mm -hmm. And then Monkey Business was their third movie with Paramount that um, was their first original movie. It was made for made for the screen and you can really tell i think the coconuts and um animal crackers really 
play like stage productions where like they're vaudeville large yeah, productions yeah yeah they're largely kind of in the se- like sets that are there and then monkey business they're like on a pl- on a boat and they're stowaways and and you know it's a much bigger bigger deal yeah <laughs> and uh, but yeah they're hilarious there's there's four main ones that appear in the movies there's uh-huh. groucho marx um we always used to call them chico marx but apparently it's chico um there's Harpo um, like, Marx and fond, Zippo Marx. I'm a little too fond of the name Chico, so I think I'm going to continue to call him Chico for the rest of this podcast. <laughs> right. Because, um, <laughs> you know, hold him very near and dear to my heart. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but something interesting I thought, um, so they all have obviously different names. Those aren't their real names. Um, right. Groucho's name is Julius. Um, Harpo's name is Arthur. It was Adolf, and then they changed it to Arthur in like the early 1900s. Yeah, good call. Um, yeah, good call. That was before, you know, that other Adolf, but mm-hmm. um, <laughs> what is else? Chico, I forget his name was. Um, yeah, I don't um, remember their real names right now. I do. I remember Julius and Adolf, the two that you were called. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I know that I always thought that Groucho was the oldest and actually Chico's the oldest. Um, yeah, and then Harpo and then Groucho and then mm-hmm. Zeppo. Yep. There was a oh, fifth one named Gummo, Gummo. as well. Uh-huh. Um, he was he was in their stage productions and he kind of dropped out. Um, and really during their stage productions, they kind of created their personas. Groucho's, you know, painted on eyebrows, mustache, and glasses, um, become a trademark that you know is so, is so pervasive in pop culture. You have you know the Groucho Marx eyeglass disguise thing that's everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he's his comedy is mainly based around a lot of like puns and wordplay and quick wit and kind of things. Mm-hmm. And, he is uh, definitely the lead <laughs> yeah he's always playing the main character he's always the lead role and definitely the biggest star out of all of the marx brothers um harpo and chico are usually some sort of team where you know chico kind of speaks for harpo harpo is silent and mimes a lot of activity and makes a lot of sound effects with different horns and things and he has a lot mm. of props yep. um but uh, and then chico is kind of like the mouth of of the team and uh and also does Never a lot of like talking. quick wit like wordplay stuff he's always that open. <laughs> he is he's always open and um, zeppo is is like the straight man for the um, most part yeah but you know i had i always you know always zeppo gets this rap rep of being like the unfunny one he's always the one that's kind of maybe like has a romantic interest or or he sings a song or something but he just kind of hangs around and doesn't really do too much Mm-hmm. Um, and he doesn't really do too much at all in this movie. No, definitely um, not. I've got some interesting points about that. I want to uh, talk about that. And this is Zeppo's last movie with the Marx Brothers. Yes. Um, so After I think this, we have the, one more movie. Like f- Hold on one second. I think we have one more movie on the list by them, right? We do. Yes. It's uh, a, night, a Night at the Opera. A Night at the Opera. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, uh, yes. So let me. I want to talk about um, the origins of their characters a little bit. Um, oh yeah. Go ahead. So. What is it? Groucho, he started off mostly, I think he was a little bit more serious and um, he was doing a lot of singing. And mm-hmm. I think at one performance, the audience wasn't really engaged. And so he just started kind of ripping on people um, mm-hmm. and it stuck. And he initially was using, they all used accents initially. I think he was using a German accent and that didn't really play too well during World War I kind of times. Um, mm-hmm. So he dropped that and just became the quick-witted Groucho that we all know. Um, and then Chico was, <laughs> he developed the Italian accent, the classic Italian accent that he uses. 
yeah um, way over the top way over the top definitely can be offensive if you are italian and uh, we will talk about that later when we talk about this movie um but (laughs) i read something that he developed it in new york um you know they're all jewish kids and he is like um (laughs) he forgot what he said he said basically he developed that accent so he could scare away people and people would think he's the uh, scary italian guy and not the little punk jewish kid (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so he developed this accent to make himself kind of tougher but it's so so funny and so ridiculous and um i have very fond memories laughing of chico lines to you actually you telling me chico lines and me dying laughing mm-hmm. um growing up but and then was it harpo's accent that he took on was um an irish accent and that's why he's got the curly hair and it's, it's technically it's like a more reddish wig um mm. in black and white it's very blonde and whitish yeah. kind of looking um but it's supposed to be more like red and curly hair. And he was, he had some like ridiculous, you know, oh, O'Malley or O'Houlihan or some like last name. Mm-hmm. Um, and then his uncle, all four of their uncles apparently was like a bigger star before them. And he's the one who kind of led them into vaudeville. Mm. Um, and then the uncle was the, actually the one who had the idea. He was like, um, Arthur, uh, Maybe you should like you know cut the talking because your accent's not really doing it, and uh, maybe you should go to <laughs> pantomime kind of stuff. And then the Marx Brothers were born, and they said like all the stuff I read was like they had a really successful career in vaudeville, and mm-hmm. um, they were like so famous in vaudeville, and then like there was a bunch to read before they even got to Hollywood, and once they got to Hollywood, they just whew, the rest is history. Yeah, and they were tailor made for the sound era. Oh my gosh, I mean, yes. It's like we've talked about Buster Keaton, we've talked about Charlie Chaplin and how they are big silent movie stars, and the Marx Bows really started right when sound began, and they are tailor-made for those early sound-era movies mm-hmm. where they're just able to take full advantage of dialogue and humor, and I think it's in no—this um, is the peak of it, I think, in Duck Soup. I agree. I was thinking, like, imagine seeing them perform on stage— you know, before mm-hmm. movies and stuff. Like, what mm-hmm. if it was like a big theater or something? Like, you would miss so many lines. Like, I miss so I many know, lines in these movies because so I'm laughing and they're so quick. You know? Yeah. But like, I, I agree. Point. I was thinking about that too. It's just how many jokes per minute there must be in this movie. It's, oh man, it's, it's mind-boggling. It's only like what 68 minutes or something with credits and stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's so trim. It's so quick. It's so light and fun and. And we'll get into it a little bit more, but there's barely any plot. Um, a lot of Marx Brothers movies, you know, f- especially in the future, have a pretty elaborate plot, uh-huh. or at least compared to this. And then they have uh-huh. like a romantic plot, and then they have all kinds of this, and they have like musical interludes. And this has none of that. Yeah. Um, Harpo, you know, his name is Harpo because he plays the harp. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing. Is like there's all these stories about how their where their names come from. Um, but like Harpo plays in he, every movie he plays, he has a, a, a scene where he plays the harp pretty much a song on the harp. And that's mm-hmm. not in this movie. Uh, same thing with Chico. He almost every movie plays a song on the piano and that's not in this movie. I they know. just like trimmed out every bit of fat or anything from this to make it just like all about the jokes. Yep. And I think it really, really worked. <laughs> yeah. Um, a couple more things, or one more thing that I have about the Marx Brothers is that the American Film Institute also did a ranking of the top 50 classic Hollywood stars. They did 25 male wow. and 25 female. Grouch up there. 
the Marx Brothers are in there collectively. They're the awesome. only group that is in the list, and they're the number 20 spot. Um, just some other names that we have seen. Buster Keaton is at 21. Um, Lillian Gish is at number 17 on the wow. female side. And then Charlie Chaplin's at number 10 on this list. You know, um, wait, where did you say the Marx Brothers were? Number 20. Oh, man. Okay. No, they've got a lot more comedic power than uh, old Chaplin. <laughs> Sorry, Charlie. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> right, uh, did made you have that opinion clear already? Yeah, sorry, Charlie. Yeah, yeah like. we're we're Marx Brothers. We're Team Marx Brothers over Team Chaplin. I think all, all the way. <laughs> did you have anything else that you discovered about the Marx Brothers? Um, let me think here. Not really so much discovered about them. Um, I always just liked like personally, you know, we grew up with these movies. I always liked how there were four of them. I know this is the last one with four of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but. You know, in the later ones, I guess we watched Night at Casablanca first, and there was only three at that time. But, mm-hmm. you know, our family's got three boys, and then we got at one girl, Jana. Um, mm-hmm. But she always kind of reminded me as a Zeppo, you know, straight man. Don't want to you know, throw her to the wolves. She's hilarious. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, she always played the straight man, was always, you know, singing and things like that. And I always, like, <laughs> related to uh, Harpo. And I mm-hmm. always, you know, it was like, oh, D- Andy is pretty good chico and then i always thought groucho was the oldest so i was like oh there's tony yeah definitely mm-hmm. but i don't know i want to talk about this movie here and then maybe see how that changes <laughs> if it changes <laughs> that, that, yeah I, that is a good uh parallel i'd never notice that one thing about zeppo that you just reminded me of i read about that internally um in real life the marx brothers all considered him to be the funniest one Really? Well, I mean, um, yeah, Deanna's probably that, the funniest. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, he would be kind of, whenever whenever they were performing on stage, he knew everyone's parts, and he could do everyone's parts so well that whenever one of them had to take a night off or something, he would step in for Groucho, and he would do all of Groucho's stuff, and he would kill. And um, so I so I, they just couldn't really, cool. he didn't really have a fully fleshed out character yeah. as well as the other three. And it really hurt him. Yeah, yeah, it hurt him in terms of the movies. And eventually, by Duck Soup, he was like, eh, I think I'm going to part ways and ended up becoming, I think, a really successful businessman or something. But Yeah, it was like he owned an engineering company or something like that and had government contracts during World War II and was like a multimillionaire, is what it said. Yeah, that's so crazy. Pretty impressive. Uh-huh. Um, I Even think there's he's a couple not the of funniest, other. He's still yeah. pretty, pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, I think Groucho is definitely the funniest. Um, Hands down, and, yeah. But uh, we have a couple of other notable people here. The director is Leo McCary. Um, I thought he was notable. This is the only Marx Brothers movie that he directed, but and uh, apparently he really didn't want to work with them, and apparently a lot of people don't really want to work with them because they just couldn't put up with them with their behavior. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't deal with them, and he really didn't want to. Like he quit the studio. Um, because they were going to put him on a Marx Brothers movie, and then the Marx Brothers were going to leave the studio, and so then he re-signed with the studio, and then the Marx Brothers came back to the studio. <laughs> so it's like he like tried so hard to get away from working with them, and then ended up working with them on this one, and contributed a lot. Yeah. I think he came up with the title. He came up with the with wanting to include the mirror scene, which is one of the more famous scenes in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he contributed a, f- a few other things that I saw, but one of the really notable things about him is that he was a director that was nominated for eight Oscars during his career and won wow. three Oscars. Dang. He won direct. He won two Best Directing Oscars, one for a movie called The Awful Truth, and one for 
Going My Way, and he also wrote uh, won a writing Oscar for Going My Way. So that kind of pedigree in a comedy movie is something that we don't really see these days. Um, so I think that's super notable. And then the other really notable person that's involved with this movie is Herman Mankiewicz. Um, he's an uncredited producer on this movie who later becomes famous for winning an Oscar as the co-writer of Citizen Kane oh, wow. and for being a writer on The Wizard of Oz. Wow. And is considered one of the most revered screenwriters in Hollywood history and one of the funniest screenwriters in Hollywood history as well. Yeah. Um, but he was an uncredited producer on this movie. And actually, fun fact, there's going to be a biopic about, about him called Mank that's directed by David Fincher and starring Gary Oldman as Herman Mankiewicz uh, cool. that's set to be released by Netflix sometime later this year um, about his time working on Citizen Kane with Orson Welles. So oh, man, that'll be good. Super intriguing character, and I'm, we're going to see his name pop up a couple more times, but I thought that this was really notable that this is the first place that he's kind of introduced. Dang, that's awesome. And that's all I have for background stuff before we get into the movie. Um, let's see. There's a couple other fun things about the movie that I looked at the background. Um, yeah, like you said, that they were about to leave the... It's Paramount. This is Paramount, right? Uh, yeah, this is their final, their fifth and final movie with Paramount. Mm-hmm. So, yes, yeah, I read something. It was like they were going back and forth and Paramount. Their movie before this was Horse Feathers. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. And they were like not getting paid or something. It was something about their pay and they were pretty tired and they wanted to leave Paramount. Um, and then, yeah, this movie happens. What was the other thing I wanted to say? Girl. Oh, the name, the title was successful too. Yeah, it was very successful. And this movie, I read both that it was unsuccessful and successful in the box office. But yeah, um, the title of the movie was the other thing that I wanted to talk about. It gets changed like a billion times. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and it's let's see here. I'm trying to lean over and read. Um, it was like I forgot. It was like here. Where is it? Do you remember any of the other names here? I feel like it had something to do with like ice or like one of the names was like ice cold. I don't remember what it was. Something weird like that. It took a long time to get there. Where is this damn thing? But yeah, and I think of cracked ice firecrackers. There we go. Um, a couple of names like that, but it just kept on changing and changing and changing. And then finally it was like grasshoppers. And then it finally got changed back to duck soup. Mm hmm. And the name is kind of nonsensical, it sounds like. It's, um, it's you know, anim it's like animal crackers or horse feathers or monkey business. It it's keeps in line with the, with the animal kind of name, mm -hmm. uh, but it doesn't really mean much of anything. There was a couple of ex explanations that I found that duck soup was something that was really simple or something, mm -hmm. um, something that was really easy to do or something, and then there was... That quote with Groucho is really great, but I think I've found another meaning for it. Um, do you remember what he said? I've got it highlighted and brought up here. Oh, read it. Go ahead. <laughs> Groucho apparently explained the title saying, uh, take two turkeys, one goose, four cabbages, but no duck, and mix them together. After one taste, you'll duck soup for the rest of your life. Uh -huh. so that's like dodge or avoid. But yeah. the other uh, title or the other meaning I found that I liked a little bit more was um, it was like, someone gullible um it's like, mm. in other words like someone gullible enough to actually buy duck soup um uh, and gotcha. that kind of plays into the theme of the movie and everything but i think it's time we uh, get into the story here 
Okay, so the movie opens up with the credit opening credits, and there's the shot of ducks being cooked in the soup, and that's the only time that we talk about duck soup. The rest of the movie <laughs> has nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with that. Um, so basically, we go to Fredonia, which is a made-up country for this movie, um, where most yep. of the movie will be taking place, and we learn that they're really hurting financially and relying on a wealthy widow, Mrs. Teasdale, played by Margaret Dumont, who appears in so many different Marx Brothers movies. Oh, um, man. So and, she's in like seven or eight of them, is what it said. And she's great. Um, I, to the, she's in so many of them that I, uh, Groucho Marx received an honorary Oscar years later, and I watched the video on YouTube, and he thanks Margaret Dumont um, for basically being like the fifth Marx brother mm-hmm. and for not understanding any of his jokes. <laughs> so I heard a couple of things. I heard she was just like, I've heard her say that she got most of the jokes, but you know, she was just really, really good at playing the straight woman and not breaking character and everything. Mm-hmm. But I've also heard a bunch of people being like, yeah, she was actually just not very smart and couldn't keep up with his <laughs> jokes. And that's why she played the role so well. And that's why they liked her so much. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. But yeah, we get to learn her. The Fredonia's hurting financially. The, she's a widow that's got a lot of money, and they, she's been giving money to this country to keep it up. And uh, she, they're asking her for more money, and she agrees to give them more money. But if they put in a new leader, if they appoint a new leader named Rufus T. Firefly, who we learn is played by Groucho Marx. What a and, great name. <laughs> yeah, uh, Rufus T. Firefly. And they cut to some newspapers announcing the news that he's been appointed the leader of Fredonia. And then we go to a party that is to welcome him as, mm-hmm. as leader of Fredonia. Yep. And that's where we meet some, basically, most of our other main players. We meet Ambassador Trentino from Sylvania, mm-hmm. um, who becomes the villain of the story. And he's working with another um, person named Vera Markel, mm-hmm. who... Played by a Mexican-American actress. Yeah. Yay for I, diversity. Yeah, she was really good. I really like... Uh, her name is Raquel Torres. Was, mm-hmm. And I, there was like one part in the movie where <laughs> she seemed like she was genuinely acting. Um, I'll get to the end of that. Or it's towards the end of the movie, so I'll talk about it when it comes up. But um, I really, really like her. <laughs> yeah. And so those two are working together to kind of undermine and take over Fredonia. So they're trying mm-hmm. to um, discredit the new leader and and you know absorb fredonia for sylvania basically and trentino's trying to like basically court miss teasdale and trying to get her money and you mm-hmm. know they're trying to basically start a revolution or something like that yeah maybe. and that's basically the plot of the movie they jam it all in in like the first two minutes and there's no jokes so far um there has been not one joke you yeah know? <laughs> um but it really is only the first two or three minutes of the movie. And then we meet Bob Rowland, who's played by Zeppo. Who I did not know that that was his name. I just knew it was Zeppo. And Margaret Dumont says his name really fast at the beginning of this movie. <laughs> she's I like, know. She's like, Bob Trentino, This is Yeah, exactly. Bob Rowland. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? What'd she say? Yeah. I, I never understood. I always thought his name was like Bob Lou or something like that <laughs> whenever I was younger. But I had to look it up in the credits. Um Bob Roland is Zeppo. So Zeppo, and he's introduced as uh, Rufus T. Flyer, Firefly's secretary. Mm-hmm. Um, so Zeppo's working for Groucho, and he basically begins singing a song. Um, I don't know what it's called. When the I'm clock call on it the, the wall clock... strikes ten. <laughs> yeah, so there we go. When the clock on the wall strikes ten, that's when the leader, 
that's when Rufus T. Firefly is going to come in, and he's it, the whole song's about how prompt and on time he is, and yes, basically and how, how great of a leader he is. It's ba- it's a wonderful setup for Groucho to just let everybody down and do what he does best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is a song set up for the punchline. So they play fanfare to introduce him, and they have all of these trumpets and swords and you know women with fl- rose petals and they are lining the staircase this big grand staircase and they pl- and they look up and he's not there and we so this awesome song the hail hail fredonia is like land of the brave and free and then nothing, nothing. happens and the horn guys yeah. like go back again like that and that's the first joke of the movie is that they look (laughs) they look at each other and decide to just play the last part of the song again which is the (laughs) national anthem i believe of fredonia Mm -hmm. um which is a a jab at actually the united states uh, national anthem because land of the brave and free what is the what's the u.s national anthem they just like flipped it Mm -hmm. around basically yeah a little (laughs) subtle jab there and so they play the they play the fanfare again, and then we cut to an alarm clock going off, and Groucho slept through his alarm, and he quickly pulls off his pajamas, and he's wearing his full suit underneath his pajamas. With a cigar in his mouth. With, he's the, cigar with the cigar in his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> and then he slides down a fire pole, fireman's pole, and he's in the room. So he was sleeping just above <laughs> the <laughs> this grand ballroom, and. Uh, but he comes in the wrong way. He doesn't come down the staircase. He goes up to one of the guys like, you expecting somebody? You expecting somebody? And, uh, and then yeah. he, they start playing the fanfare again, and he holds up his cigar in place of a, a sword. And then finally, Mrs. Teasdale spots him, and they kind of go in. But from here on in is like, this is when the, jo- the first jokes of the movie start. And from here to the end, it's just joke after joke after joke. Yeah, I was trying to take notes i watched this movie twice we didn't talk mm-hmm. about when we watched it i guess we've seen this oh, yeah. movie so many times in our lives that we don't really need to talk about when and where we watched it you have the <laughs> dvd and you watched it a couple times and gave it to me and i watched it a couple times <laughs> mm-hmm. um but yeah, yeah yeah so um what happens here oh, i was trying to take notes the second time i watched it but the jokes mm-hmm. are just so constant i was like oh i want to write that joke down oh i want to write that joke down oh this one's really good too and i just like i know get them all and I talked with you about, like, before this, I was like, I am a little n- nervous about how we're going to talk about this movie and really how we talk about comedies going mm-hmm. forward. Because we're, like, this, the tendency of, we, we've been walking through kind of the basic plot of the movie and some of the scenes and highlighting moments that we've liked in scenes of movies. But for comedies, it's just like, I'm worried about just getting stuck into a place of, like, oh, and then this line was here, like, and then we just quote the whole movie, you know, before we know it. Definitely. Okay, well then I've got something to bring up and we can talk about right now. Okay. So the genre of comedy that they do and what they do basically um, is satire. And satire, I'm just going to go ahead and read a quick little definition. Okay. Uh, it's the use of Miriam humor. Miriam Webster over here. Uh, I know. <laughs> the use of humor, exaggeration, irony to or ridicule to expose and criticize people's stupidity or vices. And it's like usually in politics. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's you know it's either literature performing arts almost always fiction um right. these guys are on the list and i think that um for us to talk better about comedy um i mean you know i'm sure there's like i don't know actually i don't know if there's movies that i think are funnier than this but <laughs> you know i brought up tommy boy the other week tommy boy is a hilarious mm-hmm. movie it cracks me up it's got some heart and stuff like that um 
but it's not on the list or anything like that. What makes this movie stand out and what makes the Marx Brothers stand out to me is satire. Um, mm-hmm. I know this movie doesn't have too, too much of a story, um, but putting it in context of when it was, so it's 1933, mm-hmm. um, it is a very, very powerful historical satire. Um, this is all about countries going to war, and this is all about uh, people rising in taking over countries, basically, taking over um, Freetonia. <laughs> He's got all this power, um, and I think that's very, very topical. Um, there was oh, one yeah. thing on that... Um, on the historical aspect of this film. Uh, one thing at the very, very beginning of the movie that really shocked me um, mm. was this like slide, this title slide that uh, says the NRA and it's got this blue eagle on it and it's like approved by the NRA. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, what? Is that the National Rifle Association? What's going on here? Uh, like that's kind of weird and creepy. But when I went and looked it up, it's actually, so the, the New Deal, the Great New Deal started, FDR, um, you know, gets in office here in March of 1933. Mm-hmm. Um, and the NRA is not the National Rifle Association. It is the National Recovery Association. Um, oh. And it was like fair practice. Um, basically, it was like we, you know, like if it was a store, you pretty much had to have that on there that you were uh, abiding by these rules of the New Deal so that um, you basically lose business if you didn't do that. But I thought that was interesting. Oh, gotcha. So you've got like the um, film industry joining up on that. But that was pretty neat. Like some crazy yeah, blue but... eagle. It got changed to like the NIRA or something like that. But yeah, this movie mm. I think has, it says a lot about politics. And I think it, the politics at this time in 1933, um, it's the year that Hitler also became the chancellor. And then a few months or weeks later became the dictator um, mm-hmm. and, you know, started rounding up Jews. And, you know, this is a, a Jewish family here. And um there's just there's a lot of like history around this movie that's going on like even if you go to the wikipedia page for 1933 you know how they have like a page per year Mm -hmm. it's got all these events um this movie came out in november on november 17th it's on here november 17th the marx brothers anarchic comedy film duck soup is released so apparently (laughs) it was a big event for the year 1933 Well, I, and I don't doubt it because, like you said, uh, going to the satire of it all, there are such brilliant satirists that that this movie, while, yeah, maybe light on plot, it has enough plot to be able to poke fun at at governments, at at war, at the military, um, at some really at big nationalism. targets. Nationalism. Nationalism, 100%, and just how childish some of these leaders, these political leaders can be that lead people into war for nothing mm-hmm. um, or for very, very little and how quick they are to go to war. Um, all of these things are so brilliantly, you know, touched on. And, Even little uh, subtle things like at the beginning, we're about to get to a song here um, when Firefly starts talking about um, the rules of the country that he wants to lay down. And mm-hmm. even like how small and how accepting all of the people of Fredonia were of these hilarious, comically <laughs> comically ridiculous uh rules yeah. that he was putting out like the country's taxes say? must be fixed and i know what to do with it if you think you're paying too much now just wait till i get through with it <laughs> yeah what does he say he's like uh um there's no cussing there's no um what else there's no whistling even whistling is prohibited <laughs> yeah and then he what does he do he whistles um you're not allowed to tell you can't chew gum you can't tell a dirty joke but he does all of those things it's like <laughs> If anyone's caught taking graft and I don't get my share, 
Franklin will stand him up against the wall and, and pop, pop goes the goes weasel. The weasel. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, that song is so great and, and sets the tone for you know, the absurdity of everything. And um, to me, it honestly, it, it rung true whenever I looked at it through this light. I was like, oh, so you've got this crazy politician dictator guy who doesn't care about anybody but himself. He's very funny, very ridiculous, doesn't take anybody seriously. Um, mm-hmm. And he goes up and gains power, and people are supporting him, and this he takes over. Familiar. I was like, uh-huh, so an idiot being in power. Okay, and brings his friends along, too. In this case, his actual brothers. You know, yeah. fills his cabinet with his brothers. I mean, they're his friends in the movie, but just like a little little nepotism and stuff going on. And they're not on. even his friends in the movie. They're spying they're spying. <laughs> we'll get onto it. They're actually actively hired to overthrow him. <laughs> Which makes it even more contrived and even more convoluted and dumb, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. So I for that for my note for this was like Groucho starts singing, just wait till I get through with it, and political farce gets turned up to eleven. Yes. And <laughs> it's just like it's and then it's just joke after joke after joke. These are the laws of my administration. No one's allowed to smoke or tell a dirty joke, and whistling is forbidden. We're not allowed to tell a dirty joke. If chewing gum is chewed, the chewer is pursued, and in the who's cow hidden. If we choose to chew, we'll be pursued. If any form of pleasure is exhibited, report to me and it will be prohibited. I'll put my foot down, so shall it be. This is the land of the free the last man nearly ruined this place he didn't know what to do with it if you think this country's bad off now just wait till i get through with it the country's taxes must be fixed and i know what to do with it if you think you're paying too much now just wait till i get through with it i will not stand for anything that's crooked or unfair I'm strictly on the up and up, so everyone beware. If anyone's caught taking graft and I don't get my share, we stand them up against the wall and pop goes the weasel. One thing further about building on what you talked about, the Marx Brothers being brilliant satirists, is that they're... The time period that we're talking about, yeah, in between two big war- wars, during you the know, Great economic Depression. crash, during the Great Depression, and who they are satirizing is governments, and in A Night at the Opera, which we'll be talking about, is the high, rich class society. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, they thumb their nose and, you know, stick up their middle finger. At, Horse feathers is about like academia, you know, college, yeah, you know, at all these snobby people that don't mm-hmm. really know what the real working class people are going through yep. and just trying to shine this hilarious light on these really, really profound truths. And mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons why this movie is so great is the time that it came out in and what the message of it is that they're trying to say all while being so damn funny so 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 funny (laughs) okay so that was good let's get back to the story though yeah so he sings this song and after that he's got a he's got an appointment at the house of representatives and he's got to get there real quick so they call his excellency's car yeah one of the one one of the running jokes in the movie they get to his excellency's car and we cut to harpo driving a motorcycle with a sidecar and he pulls up and he groucho gets into the sidecar and tells him to step on it and harpo takes off on the motorcycle and the sidecar just stays there (laughs) yep they do a lot of jokes in this movie um about three times and this would be the first one (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
Chris used to next... crack me up so much as a kid. I loved it. And that's the first oh. time you see Harpo, too. Yeah, it is the first time you see Harpo. And it doesn't make too much sense that he's the driver, of, that he's like the chauffeur of Groucho. Because as we, I don't know. But it is a weird kind of one-off thing that I was like, wait, what, what's going on here? I guess that's his job that he's using to spy on him. Mm-hmm. And then Chico's got the peanut stand underneath his office window. <laughs> that's what he uses to spy on him. I don't know. <laughs> but uh anyway after that scene we cut to sylvania which is the other country and we hear the sylvanian national anthem which is That's a right. musical motif that comes up over and over again of the dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and that's the other thing is the music in this great is really Britannia great kind of mockery kind of thing yeah the music is fantastic the songs are hilarious but also just like the score the fredonian national anthem theme oh, yeah. and the sylvanian national anthem theme they all kind of come back over and over again Oh yeah, it's um, all yeah, yeah, beautiful thematically, definitely. And this is where we hear of Ambassador Trentino's plan. To, he outlines it to discredit Firefly, and he's hired two spies mm-hmm. to shadow him to come up with something to discredit him with the people. And that's when they arrive, and it's like, oh yeah, send them in. And their names are Chickalini and Pinky. <laughs> so you um, got you got Firefly's big intro. You know, Groucho's got his own thing. Zeppo doesn't get an intro. And then this is one of my favorite intros, definitely Chicolini and Pinky. <laughs> yeah, and they they come in and we immediately know everything that we need to know about their characters. I think <laughs> within about anarchy, five seconds of meeting idiots, them, they're just they're crazy. <laughs> yeah, they're wearing masks. Uh, they they run in. The phone starts ringing. <laughs> um, it's mis- they try all these different. They lift up all the different phones, and it was uh, an alarm clock going off in Harpo's pocket. Um, <laughs> And but during the scene, I mean, Chico's rapid fire going wordplay and his funny accent and his wordplay is so frustrating. That's the thing. Like Groucho's clever and Chico just like is f- he just frustrates everybody with his jokes. I feel like the gentlemen, please, will you tell me what you found out about Firefly? Well, you remember you gave us a picture of this man and said follow him. Oh, yes. Well, we get on the job right away. And in the one hour. Even in less than one hour. Yes, we lose at a base. That's a some joke, eh, boss? <laughs> yeah, they ask him about it. He no show up. <laughs> Tuesday, he go to the ball game. We fool him. We no show up. <laughs> yeah, supposed to be a spy. <laughs> it's not showing. Well, yeah. Thursday was a doubleheader. Nobody show up. Uh, <laughs> Friday, Friday rain all day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we there was no ball game, so we stayed and listened to the radio or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> now, Chicolini. I want a full, detailed report of your investigation. All right, I tell you. Monday, we watch the Firefly's house, but he no come out. He wasn't home. Tuesday, we go to the ball game, but he fool us. He no show up. Wednesday, he go to the ball game, and we fool him. We no show up. Thursday was a doubleheader. Nobody show up. Friday, it rained all day. There was no ball game. So we stayed home. We listened to her over the radio. Then you didn't shadow Firefly. Oh, sure, we shadow Fire. We shadow him all day. But what day was that? Saturday. <laughs> it's a, some joke, eh, boss? And then Harpo's got all of his, like, props and stuff. He's got, he pulls out scissors, and he cuts some of Trentino's hair when he's not looking. He cuts his cigar when it's put behind his back. He cuts everything in this movie. <laughs> he cuts off the tails of his jacket when he's talking and distracted. Yeah, um, and that that his those scissors come up so many times that he cuts off so many different things and with those scissors throughout the movie. And then he's got his horns too, which he kind of speaks through. Yeah, 
and he's got his flamethrower, which he uses <laughs> to to light cigars and to shine lights in dark places and all kinds of things. Oh gosh, yeah, so 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 dumb. Um, they represent. So I was reading something. It was like the Marx Brothers, for the majority of the time, represented just like pure anarchy, mm-hmm. <laughs> like on on set and stuff like that. Um, when it's the three of them and Zeppo kind of balanced it out. In this movie, they said they kind of like switched the straight man to the entire. This whole society, like everybody except for the four of them, mm-hmm. um, and that reflected us. But Chicolini and Pinky are just anarchy incarnate. They just come in and they just tear everything apart. And it's so you have to watch it like five times to see everything. It's all so funny. Mm-hmm. Oh god, I love it's, it. Though. I love it. I love it so much. And they play so well off of they each play other. Like just... Baseball with a cigar and like do this mm-hmm. whole. It's just so ridiculous, and yeah, it's very frustrating if you're trying to get these two spies to do what you want and, you know, go spy on the nation. They don't give a shit about you. No, they don't care. <laughs> um, yeah. And then we go to another scene where Groucho's in a cabinet meeting mm-hmm. and uh, playing jacks and during the cabinet meeting. Yep, it's and all a joke for him. It's an old and business that, and new business. Yeah, the old business, new business, uh, yeah. He's like, oh, that's we're talking about old business, and that's new business. And let's no talk old about business. Yeah, taxes. Yeah, now news business. Yeah. And then he's like, all right, let's talk about new business. And he goes, no, let's talk about. It. He's like, too late. That's old business already. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> he doesn't care. Or the line where we need to care. bring up the take up the taxes. And he's like, oh yeah, but we got to take up the carpet too. And he's like, no, but we need to take up the taxes first. And he's like, oh, yeah, he's right. Well, we should take, take up, up the, the taxes tax. first. Yeah, before you can pull up the carpet. Yeah, (laughs) so stupid. It's just dumb, dumb, dumb. I love it. And that guy Um, resigns. I mean, it's a reflection of today's politics, which was a little frustrating and made it not as funny for me. So many people resigning out of frustration, out of the stupidity of the leader, and how Mm -hmm. often we see that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, gosh. But, yeah, Firefly's an exception. He's an expert idiot. Yeah. And then we cut to another scene where it's it sets up a great scene out, outside of his, on the street, and it's uh, Chico and Harpo at a peanut stand that Chico operates where he's selling his peanuts. And uh, we have their first encounter with the lemonade salesman that they're stationed up against, mm-hmm. where they, they, I don't even know, they get into a fight with him. And hats are falling, and they're changing hats, and Harpo's getting him to grab his leg. (laughs) I don't know why he's always doing that. They get uh, an awesome fight, too. So it starts off with um, him saying, peanuts, (laughs) and selling peanuts. And he doesn't say the to you at this one. Oh, he Um, doesn't? No, and then uh, Groucho, or Harpo comes up, and they, like, bump into each other or something. He's like, hey, what's the matter with you? You you spying right now? What's the matter with you? And they start, like, pushing each other. I love when he explains it to the guy. It's one of my favorite lines in the whole movie. I am a shut up, but you (laughs) don't tell me what to do. (laughs) You got to get this guy to go spy for me. Sometimes I want him to spy, but he no spy. Why you get him to no spy? (laughs) I I, I think I tried to memorize it one time. He's like... Listen, I am a shut up, Mister. But listen, he's a spy, and I'm a spy. He working for me. <laughs> I try and get him to find out what I want to find out, and he no find out what I want to find out. How am I gonna find out what I want to find out if he no find out what I gotta find out? <laughs> like, just nonsense. <laughs> so ridiculous. Can't you say anything? No, he no say nothing. Oh, shut up! I am a shut up, but Mister, you no understand. Look, he's a spy, and I'm a spy. He work for me. I want him to find out something, but he no find out what I want to find out. Now, how am I gonna find out what I want to find out if he no find out what I gotta find out? Will you quit annoying me? All right, I quit. All you gotta do is make him stop doing this. Oh. 
now, just for that, I'm going to tear you limb from limb, limb from limb. It's and that perfect. lemonade stand guy keeps on getting more and more frustrated and, uh, you know, kicking Harpo <laughs> and everybody and holding legs. And, yeah, basically that, that first thing ends with his hat um, getting burnt. Yeah, um, Harpo puts his hat in the peanut stand fire thing and his, heart, his hat catches on fire and... and uh... This is one of those there, jokes they do um, three times, and it, for me it felt like very, you know, it's so rehearsed, but it felt like one of those things that translated on stage. Like, they, they probably definitely used a million times on stage. Yeah, a lot of these scenes seem like skits, vaudeville skits, that are like, how can we string these together? Exactly. And, um, and they do, though. I think to me, the, for I don't know why it works so well for me. It doesn't seem like a series of skits, at least when I watched it growing up. It seemed like it's all one coherent, cohesive thing. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't know if that's just because I grew up with it, but it just, it all works for me so well. Yeah, like, what is it? One of the Chaplin movies, uh, Gold Rush, I think. I remember mm-hmm. feeling like that movie, he was like, oh, I got a bunch of really good gag ideas. Um, let's find some loose story to string it all together. But mm-hmm. no, this one definitely did not have that feel. Yeah. Um, Groucho looks out his window. He sees Chico down there and invites and then he him says, up. Peanuts, do you? <laughs> <laughs> he invites him up to his office um, and uh, offers him a job. He mm. offers him the, the position of Secretary of War, which he well, takes. first it's the mint, and he says, uh, "What other flavor you got?" <laughs> yeah, I don't like a mint. <laughs> yeah, I don't like a mint. <laughs> yeah, and so then they give him Secretary of War, and he takes it, and and uh, he walks out, and Harpo comes in. And starts showing him his tattoos on his on his arm. Really and... cool special effect coming up here. Yeah, I don't know how they do it. So he first he shows he's like, "Hey, what's your name?" And then he shows him a, a tattoo on his arm that's a picture of his face. And then <laughs> he um he uh, asks him where he what I don't know. Um, he's like, "Hey, you got a one from the old masters or something?" And he's got oh, like yeah. a pretty lady on his other arm and. Uh, yeah, that song that plays as he's like flexing his arm and making the girl dance a little bit. And then he's like, you got our telephone number? And he's got that tattooed on him. And then where do you live? Where do you live? And he opens up his shirt and on his chest, he's got a picture, a tattoo of a house. And then it's like a little dog house, a dog house. And then a dog's head appears and barks at him and he jumps back. And I have I don't know how they do that. I imagine it was. A similar technique to King Kong with like mini rear projection or something. Something like but, that. Yeah, it was crazy. It was really, really but, cool though. Yeah, it, it was really cool. And he jumps back and he's scared. And then he's like, you haven't got a picture of my grandfather. And he's like, <laughs> and he starts lifting up his, to show a tattoo on his back. And he's like, no, no, not now. Yeah. <laughs> and then he leaves. Joke. <laughs> yeah, he leaves and um, Zeppo comes in. And as he comes in, he obviously passed Harpo on the way out because his hat is now cut in half. <laughs> yeah. And Zippo's, uh, what he tells him about the tea party that Miss Teasdale's happening or having and that uh, Trentino's there, but Firefly wasn't invited. Yes, and so he... Firefly he, does uh, a joke here with Zeppo for the second time that I really like. Um, the first time he does it is like right at the beginning. He's like, draft a letter to my dentist. Uh, he's like, dear dentist, uh, enclosed is $500. Uh, you're like, Yours truly, Firefly, or whatever. He's like, and send mm-hmm. it off immediately. He's like, I need the check, sir. And he's like, I didn't say that. Send it off right now. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> this time he's like, hey, there's this tea party that Miss Teasdale's got, uh, but you're not invited. And he's like, okay, draft a letter. <laughs> he's like, uh, I cordially, cordially invite you invite <laughs> to the tea party, whatever. <laughs> whatever he says. But they have a plan that they, when they go to the, the tea party, the reason he wants to go is because Trentino's there. And... Mm-hmm. 
he wants a, a reason to go to war with Sylvania because he doesn't like Trentino. And so they come up with an idea <laughs> yeah. to insult him so that he can slap, so that Groucho gets slapped by Trentino, mm-hmm. get, thus giving him a reason to go to war with Sylvania. So he's going in hot for this tea party. He's like going straight for, ter- uh, for Trentino. What's his name? Trentino? Trentino. I always yeah. want to say Tarantino. Trentino. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so he's like really gunning for him with his wit and with some insults here. Yeah, um, and he gets there and he starts unloading on him all these insults. And, and Trentino gets mad, but he doesn't slap him. So mm-hmm. Groucho keeps you know, pushing and pushing and Trentino starts insulting him back. And then eventually Groucho slaps Trentino instead mm-hmm. of the other way around. And Trentino declares that this means war, which is something that comes up so many times in this movie. Yeah, this but means war. They just that came was up the with first this time plan. he slaps Trentino as well. Mm-hmm. He slaps him, and which also comes up multiple times, and then says, "This means war." Mm-hmm. And so he, they had just come up with this plan, and immediately it's backfired. And now Sylvania has a good reason to go to war, and Fredonia was the aggressor. Yep. And we had um we had one car gag we missed in between this, but this scene ends with uh, Firefly storming out, and somebody says His Excellency's car, and then Firefly repeats them His Excellency's mm-hmm. car, and then runs away. Um, but the last car gag with Harpo driving off without him um, goes a little differently, <laughs> mm-hmm. and he's like uh, Groucho's like Oh no, you fooled me twice. You drove away with a motorcycle or whatever, and I was in the sidecar and it didn't move. He's like you can only fool a Firefly twice, and he's like You get over in the sidecar, I'm driving the motorcycle. And uh, I thought this was like the funniest thing as a little kid. <laughs> and then the, yeah. the sidecar drives away and the motorcycle sits there. <laughs> Firefly's <laughs> like, well, it's like this be- is like one hell of a way to travel or something like that. I forgot what he says. I know. But th- yeah, that moment was probably my favorite moment when I was a kid when the sidecar takes off and the motorcycle stays still. It's so, so absurd. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. And it, but it works so perfectly. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then we uh, go back to the peanut stand for yet another fight with the lemonade salesman. That's right. This time he stomps in the lemonade. I think it ends with him like scaring away all this guy's um, lemonade. Yeah, Harpo puts his bare feet into the (laughs) lemonade stand because the lemonade salesman had tipped over and destroyed the peanut stand completely. That's right. And so then he he counters by sticking his bare feet into the lemonade stand and stomping on it like as if it's a a thing of grapes or something. Um, Perfect. It's great. Perfect. I guess they only do that one twice. The mm-hmm. peanut stand, but they guess oh man, it's just three parts, but yeah, only twice for that. Um, but then they go to the meeting to avoid war, right? So it's yeah, like Trentino, Trentino and Vera and... are talking with Mrs. Teasdale, and they're saying, well, we can try and avoid war and resolve this. And so if Mrs. Teasdale can try and talk Groucho out of it, and uh, maybe we have a chance to avoid war. And she calls uh, him over, and he's like in bed eating crackers and. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> like, hey, bring some cheese. <laughs> yeah. like, okay, I'll go over there. So he goes over. And and I think Vera, Markel, and Trentino are like hiding or something. And Mrs. Mm-hmm. Teasdale tries to. Yeah, she's trying to convince him, but really, she gets zero words in and gets to say she doesn't get to say anything whenever she's in front of Groucho. Um, he even says one line like he talks so much. And, like, doesn't let her say anything. And she's like, oh, mm-hmm. Rufus. And then he's like, mm-hmm. you know, you haven't stopped talking since I got here. So you must have been vaccinated by a phonograph needle. <laughs> yeah. So stupid. And he's got the, one of my favorite lines whenever I was a kid, too. He's like, I can see us, our future oh, now. God, I can see you bending over a hot stove, but I can't see the stove. Yeah. <laughs> so he's being all lovey-dovey. And he's, trying to, he's being all flirty with her. And he's trying to 
get her money and you know get her on his side and uh yeah she doesn't really have a chance doesn't stand a chance to convince him to not go to war here are the plans of war they're as valuable as your life and that's putting them pretty cheap watch them like a cat watches her kittens have you ever had kittens no of course not you're too busy running around playing bridge can't you see what i'm trying to tell you i love you why don't you marry me why marry you you take me and i'll take a vacation i'll need a vacation if we're going to get married married I can see you right now in the kitchen, bending over a hot stove, but I can't see the stove. And then Trentino and Vera Markel come out from the like patio or something, and mm-hmm. um, they get back into it. They were like chummy for a second. Yeah, they like they make up, and they're like, ah, you know, I was silly of me to lose my temper after that thing you called me. What was it again? <laughs> yeah, he baits him. <laughs> He's like, no. Was it swine? He's like, no. Like, no, nah, that wasn't it. It was the seven-letter one. <laughs> Oh, yes. Upstart. <laughs> That's it. Slap. <laughs> Second and slap. Yeah, and he slaps him again. They're back at it, and back the war is back on. Also, this scene has racism number one of number of two in this movie. Um, it does. I think Let's it's it. worth mentioning that he says, like, the horseflies married the fireflies, and that's why darkies were born. Um, which was, I had, I didn't catch that when I was younger. And then, you know, I had caught it in the last, you know, 10 years or so that I've watched. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's uncomfortable. Oh yeah. No, I didn't, I didn't catch that. Yeah. And there's another moment of racism near the end. So there, whenever this movie was being reissued, uh, there was talk of eliminating that, that line and, um, another moment later on and, and, uh, they ended up keeping them both in, um, and so preserving the original film, but but it was discussed to potentially remove parts of this movie for cultural insensitivity. Hmm. I think it was worth noting that that is yeah. this movie is not one hundred percent perfect. There are moments that are in this that are, are kind of ugh. oh definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but from there they're back on and uh, and then we see Trentino mentioning that he knows that Mrs. Teasdale has Fredonia's war plans in a safe in her house. That's right. And so, and that Vera is a guest at her house. And so they come up with a plan that Vera is going to sneak Chico and Harpo into Mrs. Teasdale's house so that they can steal Fredonia's war plans. And this is probably, this whole sequence is probably the funniest sequence in the movie. It's just so good. Yeah, yeah, they go up there, and uh, I just love the <laughs> even w- the way it starts. They sneak up to the place, and they're right at the door. And Chico goes with Harpo, ring the bell. <laughs> yeah, and Harpo instead of ringing the doorbell, pulls out this giant handheld bell out of his pocket. <laughs> Rings the bell. And he's, no, 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 no. Push the button. And Harpo and then, pushes Chico's like the button his on belly his shirt. Button. <laughs> his belly button. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but eventually they get into this very absurd game of like ding dong ditch where they ring the doorbell and hide behind bushes and the guy comes out and they try and sneak in and one and then they close the door on each other and they're just it's it goes on for like a minute or so of them just going in and out of this door before they finally both are able to get into the door and that's just step one they're now they're inside and they have another inside there's a whole ordeal to just get inside this place these are the worst spies in history (laughs) <laughs> the, the um, next setup that Vera Markel says is like this is whatever her best you do part, don't yeah, make a sound this is why I thought she was really good this is why I really like her she's like genuinely acting at this point like it seemed almost out of place how serious she was and she was like don't make a sound mm-hmm. you know of course they're just gonna disobey her they're you know Harpo's looking at her wide eyes kind of smiling mouth open uh huh mm-hmm. yeah sure mm-hmm. <laughs> 
the silent and one who doesn't speak or even laugh whenever he's laughing. No sound comes out when he even laughs or anything, you know? <laughs> yeah, but he's going to make a ton of noise. <laughs> yeah, what do they do? Of course, they proceed to immediately make the most ridiculous amount of noise. Um, yeah. First, and it starts off with, with an alarm. Oh, he changes the clock's time. And, to match uh, the clock that's in his pocket at all times. Which is broken. <laughs> which and is always at midnight. Just at midnight. <laughs> and so he changes the clock, the grandfather clock, to midnight, which, so it then begins chiming. Mm-hmm. And then he sets his alarm clock down, which go, starts going off. There's a little and music he, box he turns. and He turns a music box on, which starts playing like the, the Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf song from the yeah. Three Little Pigs. And then he, he dances. plays the harp kind and of And then plays the second. harp kind of. Yeah, he, it's an open piano, and he starts plucking the piano strings to go along with the song. It's the it's one so musical dumb. thing he got. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then Chico tries to pull him away when he's... And the piano slams down on his fingers. <laughs> and he's got this ridiculous face. <laughs> I remember that was so funny. Yeah. His expressions just crack me up so much. <laughs> it's so dumb. Ugh. And anyway, eventually then, they yeah. get upstairs and decide that in order to get the plans, they need they, the plans are in a safe, so they need the combination. And um, they overhear a phone conversation that Groucho is going to go in to get the combination from Mrs. Teasdale so that uh, she can. She's nervous about having the plans or something, and she wants them taken, moving, move, moving, mm-hmm. moved, moved or taken away. <laughs> yeah, I gotcha. And uh, so, what do they do? They dress up like Groucho and his pajamas and go over there. And this mm-hmm. just highlights to me how identical looking all of the Marx Brothers actually are. They look so different with their costumes, but whenever they put on the grease paint, mustache, glasses. And the cigar, they are the same. <laughs> they all look the same, all three of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so one, they go in one by one, and you know they're having one of them's having to hide under the bed, and uh, it's this madcap kind of thing of like one at a time the real Groucho comes in, and then Harpo comes in, and he doesn't talk to Mrs. Teasdale, and then <laughs> when Chico Grouch- comes in, you know she has a conversation with normal Groucho on the phone, and then Chico comes in or something <laughs> with his super thick accent. <laughs> Got any <of> plans? <laughs> yeah. She's like, your voice. And he just sells it. I'm practicing my Italian or whatever. Yeah. You know, maybe sometime I go to Italy and I'm uh, practicing the language. That's what it is. <laughs> maybe sometime. He always says. <laughs> <laughs> Ridiculous. And eventually they get the combination and Harpo goes down to open up the safe and he turns the knob, you know, this many to the right, this many to the left, this many to the right. And it was a radio and music starts blaring so mm-hmm. loud. <laughs> Yeah, so loud. It's like a, the Stars and Stripes Forever, I think is what it's called. Some patriotic mm-hmm. song. Um, and yeah, he has, it's so loud that Firefly and um, Tees, Miss Teasdale know that someone's in the house trying to steal the plans. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, then Harpo's kind of on the run. Um, and he, like, runs into this glass mirror, breaks the mirror. And um, <laughs> I watched this movie with my roommate, and he was like, there's some continuity errors in this, and I'll get to them at the end. But <laughs> he runs into the mirror and breaks the mirror. There's all this glass on the ground, and then and it's all cleaned up. <laughs> and then it's all cleaned up. Yeah. <laughs> and half a second, it's all cleaned up. Um, and then they have the famous mirror scene. Yeah. So Groucho comes down dressed in his pajamas. Harpo's on the other side of this bro- where this mirror should be, and uh, he's also dressed like him. And he walks, and then has to pretend like he's Groucho's reflection. And it is. Mm. They do some really absurd things where you know he's just trying to mirror every movement, and then they go behind a wall, and Groucho's trying to come up with all these weird movements, and Harpo, even though he can't see him absurdly, is able to match everything <laughs> exactly. 
You know I mean, it almost ends like they're just having fun. You know, it almost ends because um, one point they walk like they walk around each other, right? <laughs> like they yeah, walk. They walk the through where the mirror should be, and they're holding hats behind their back. And clearly, Harpo's hat is not the hat that Firefly has. And mm-hmm. so whenever Firefly's going to put it on, you know, you're expecting it to be the wrong hat, but then <laughs> Harpo pulls the right hat out. Yeah. <laughs> May just dies laughing. He like points at Groucho and laughs like, he got you. I got you. <laughs> and he accidentally drops the hat and Groucho picks it up for him. Yeah. <laughs> so dumb. But then it's all ruined whenever Chico bumps into Harpo and um, yeah. then Groucho grabs a hold of Chico's nightgown and then it transitions to the trial of Chicolini. Yeah, uh, he's he on trial for high treason. Trial for high treason, yes. And again, the trial is just an absurd showcase for Groucho and Chico's wordplay. That might be um, one of my favorite scenes. I think <laughs> Chico's so dumb. Yeah, look at him. He may look like an idiot. He may sound like an idiot, but don't let that fool you. He really is an idiot. <laughs> let him go to the. Wo- he's like, please let him go to the welcoming arms of his family in in prison or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like an abject figure. I object. <laughs> He's like, yeah. Everybody says, and then that's he says irrelevant. Something. There's a lot of irrelevance in the circus. So yeah. stupid. All the dumb things. Chicolini, when were you born? I don't remember. I was just a little baby. <laughs> All that stuff. <laughs> Again, his, his Chico is just like is just there to frustrate everyone. His yeah. comedy is just just frustrates everyone because he's able to bob and weave all around and just twist their words against them. Chicolini, you're charged with high treason. And if found guilty, you'll be shot. I object. Oh, you object. On what grounds? I couldn't think of anything else to say. Objection sustained. Your Excellency, you sustained the objection. Sure, I couldn't think of anything else to say either. Chicolini, when were you born? I don't remember. I was just a little baby. Gentlemen, Chicolini here may talk like an idiot and look like an idiot, but don't let that fool you. He really is an idiot. I implore you, send him back to his father and brothers who are waiting for him with open arms in the penitentiary. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, so they, they rip Chicolini on trial. Uh, well, they don't, really, they don't really finish the trial. Um, no, they get everyone's like by Trentino. Yeah, everyone's really angry at him, and, you know, he should go to prison for <laughs> trying to steal war plans. Um, but... Amazingly, the leader of Fredonia has his back because it's his buddy. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's like, he's like, you know what? This case has moved me. <laughs> you know, he defends him a little bit. <laughs> How has this moved you? Oh no, it moves him because he talks about uh, he doesn't. He's like representing himself, and he's like, yeah, I couldn't find anybody. I was gonna pay uh, eighteen or nineteen dollars for somebody to represent me, and then <laughs> uh, Firefly jumps over the thing. And he's like, you know what? This case moves me. <laughs> he like, my friends, this man's case moves me deeply. Look at Ciccolini. He sits there alone. An abject figure. I abject. I say, look at Ciccolini. He sits there alone. A pitiable object. Let's see you get out of that one. Surrounded by a sea of unfriendly faces. Yeah, but then um, they come in and they've got some some bad news, right? And they're like, uh, Sylvania's um troops are arriving or something like that yeah they're approaching the fredonian soil and uh mm-hmm. trentino comes in for a that mrs teasdale has arranged a last ditch tr- uh, effort to try and avoid war it's like one and person comes in and is like oh yeah sylvania's here and then um they're like make an entrance thing like the guys with the horns and the swords make a little thing and then chico goes oh look more bad news and then miss teasdale walks in he's like hey i told you so yep <laughs> 
and, and eventually then Gentino comes in and he's worn he's worked himself up again and he comes in and just like slaps him almost immediately. Yeah, he has a whole conversation without Trentino. He mm-hmm. uh Miss Teasdale's like Maybe we can have peace, peace for our country. Let's not go to war. One last chance. Please talk to him. And he's like, you're right. I'll shake out or I'll put out my right hand of uh, peace and everything. And then we'll shake on it and we'll save all of our people. It's like, yeah, this is really great. But what if he doesn't take my hand? What if he rejects it? And what if he does that? I can't do that. I can't look like that. Such a fool. He would do that. And then as soon as Trentino shows up, he's like, how dare you not shake my hand? And slaps him. Slap. (laughs) Third slap. (laughs) This means war. war. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And uh, so then then it's war, and they they signal another song, the Fredonia's Going to War song, Mm -hmm. you know, to war, to war, to war, we're going to go. And they go through all kinds of different songs and song styles, and one of them is racism number two. Mm -hmm. They do like a spiritual song, and they Mm -hmm. sing the line. That what is it? It's like it's we got guns, they got guns, all God's chillin' got guns. Yeah, and the, the real ones, all God's chillin' got wings. Is that what it mm-hmm. is? Yeah, that was that was pretty. Um, I mean, it has its racial. You know, it is not very <laughs> PC. Um, mm-hmm. it is racist. You know, you mentioned that other joke, which is not cool. Um, mm-hmm. definitely can't just skip over that just because I like these guys too much. Um, it it was like. I mean, it was a part of the time, just sad and messed up, and that's no excuse. But all in all, um, I think these two bits of racism, apart from the Italian racism of Chico and um, <laughs> how offensive that must be, and also I think there's a scene, you know, when he's Harpo stepping on the lemonade, They, I saw something, it was like, that was kind of like uh, uh, Italian workers or something, like vin- vineyards, like vineyard workers, but and it could mm-hmm. have been misstrued as racist towards, I don't know who. Um, hmm. but yeah, all that being said, the Marx brothers are, you know, they're Jewish minorities in a time when Jews are being rounded up like that. And they really don't hold back on anybody. Um, no, they, they will rip anybody apart and they're not like afraid to say or do or be mean to any group in specific group. And I, I think that these are, well, that first joke with the fireflies, that one's messed up, but yeah, um, this song, I don't know, maybe cause I'm so taken away from the that time period that it, it's not too too it does seem a little more tame yes a lot more tame um, uh, so but the song besides that moment is pretty funny i mean they're playing like xylophones on soldiers helmets and harpo's cutting with his scissors all these little like poofy things on top of these soldiers helmets and mm-hmm. and they're dancing around and it's 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 fun it's a good it's a fun song too mm-hmm. and uh eventually the song ends and and uh Harp, he tells back. Harpo to ride off like Paul Revere to, you know, alert everybody. And and uh, he yep. runs through the streets blaring his trumpet. And eventually um, he gets into He pervs a bath. on this girl. Yeah, he, like, sees this girl, like, in her underwear changing or something. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And runs into the house. He's always chasing blonde girls in all of the movies. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he finds a blonde girl and he runs into the house. And he's like... I don't understand this scene. He's like creepily like walking towards her, you know, with his ridiculous face. And she seems so scared. And then it cuts and it's actually the lemonade stand guy's wife and it's his house. Mm -hmm. And um, then it cuts to that guy coming up to the door and then it cuts back to the girl and Harpo in the room. And she's like, 
hide, hide. My husband's here. And she's like trying Mm -hmm. to hide him. Like he's a creepy guy who just busted in your house. Why are you hiding him? Like, (laughs) what did we miss? (laughs) And uh, he's like, she come. He he comes. The lemonade salesman comes in, and she's Fredonia's going to war. And she hands him his gun. He's like, I'm gonna take a bath, and goes into the bathroom and sits down in the bathtub. And when he sits down in the bathtub, you hear a you hear one of Harpo's horns. Yeah. And <laughs> surprise, he's under the water, fully clothed, playing the trumpet. <laughs> yeah. And he comes up, play, blares the trumpet, runs off, and continues his journey. And then sees another woman, and yeah. he goes into her house with his horse. Mm-hmm. And then it cuts to which this is a another. She thing. waves him pre- in. This woman waves him in. <laughs> yeah, this woman invites him in, and uh, and this is a pre-code movie, but it's right up against when the codes are kind of about to start coming around, and so they really are playing with the sensors a little bit here. They have a shot at the f- at the foot of the bed, and you see Harpo's boots, and then it pans over, and you see um, the woman's shoes, and then it continues to pan over, and then you see horseshoes. Yeah. And instead of Harpo in the bed with the woman, the woman is in a separate bed and Harpo's in bed with the horse, which <laughs> brings up all kinds of other questions. Yeah. <laughs> this is ridiculous. I'm um, talking about the censorship thing. I was wondering if like maybe the upstart thing and all those like, you know, ridiculously small insults that start a mm-hmm. war, you know, if that you was kind swine. of a light little you jab upstart. at yeah. censorship, maybe. It could be. Yeah. I mean... Um, they, you know, the Marx Brothers are pretty clean, but they're not one to shy away from double entendre and sexual innuendo and, mm-hmm. and dirty jokes or dirty humor. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, there's a line earlier in the movie that I didn't get the double meaning of what it was he was saying. He's like, when he's talking about Mrs. Teasdale and he's like, <laughs> all I can offer you is a Rufus over your head. I had no idea about like the sexual double meaning to that. I always just thought it was a, a play on like roof over your head. Yeah. But well, yeah. there's definitely a sexual component there that he definitely. snuck in past the censors. And that's something that I think only g- someone like Groucho could get away with. Oh, okay. he does it a lot though. I mean, with Vera Markel too. She's like, is there anything I can do? And he's like, yeah, but we'll ta- I'll tell you about that later. We'll talk yeah, about that we'll later. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's just like all these little subtle little you know he's just so subversive mm-hmm. um, and then from the, from after that uh we go to basically the final scene of the movie um which is the war mm-hmm. there's a big battle happening um there's a lot of stuff in this scene and i don't have it all so written much. down um so much but the, the costumes are the first thing so at the at the beginning he's like paul revere they're kind of american revolution dressed mm-hmm. like right before harpo goes off to tell everybody Mm-hmm. Um, and then I want to say it starts with like World War One. They like come in and they've got like World War One like gear on or clothes on, which for that time would have probably been like the contemporary. That's like the contemporary. That's what soldiers would be wearing. Mm-hmm. And um, they also have like shots of like they're in a house. He's in like a house or something. And every time they show mm-hmm. the house, it's always being like destroyed. <laughs> like yeah blown it's to blown up but then inside there's just some little shaking and some debris falls from the roof but everything's still standing but from the outside shots like the entire house is getting blown up basically yeah. and they they rip war apart right here so like it shows uh there's a scene where uh, chico is actually um on the other side he's with trentino he's in the sylvanian or sylvania's mm-hmm. camp um and he's like Chicolini, I need you to go out there and clean things up. Things are really bad out there. And he's like, okay, I'll get the janitor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll go clean things up. Just how ridiculous it is. And then mm-hmm. somebody comes in and he's like, uh, uh, fireflies. Like somebody 
some general over there reported a gas attack and he's like okay uh get him a glass of water some bicarb and uh yeah you know, whatever whatever <laughs> he's like that'll fix his gas attack <laughs> like they just do not take the war seriously mm-hmm. um and then he shoots at his own men firefly oh, yeah. does <laughs> they're running like <laughs> look at them scatter like rabbits he's like shooting you're shooting your own men and then he shoots more what <laughs> yeah he's like here's five dollars keep that under your hat and he's actually no keep it under my hat <laughs> never mind i'll keep it under my hat yeah and groucho has so many different costume changes um yeah. chico switches sides you know he's with the sylvanian side but he's the secretary of war for the fredonian side and then he's like, well, why are you over here? He's like, well, the food's better over here. So, and then he doesn't do anything about it. He just lets Chico hang out over there. And uh, Groucho, yeah, he goes from wearing, like, you know, like we said, American Revolution to World War I to a, a Boy Scout uniform to, to looks like French... he's on safari or something. Yeah, to, like, Davy Crockett hat. And he's got, like, a French Revolution, too. He's got, like, a giant... Uh, big black fuzzy hat at one point. Mm-hmm. Like it's shot off to the top of his head. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and then they've uh, got the, I think the most like, what I read on there was like the most um, topical line or whatever in this scene was whenever they're playing that whatever that game I have is. no idea what he's saying there. No idea. It's basically eeny, meeny, miny, mo is what yeah. they're playing. And it's um, the four of them, the four March brothers, and they're trying to, decide who goes out into the battlefield to lead the, mm-hmm. the troops and they do it like two times or chico leads the eeny meeny miny mo two times and then he's like oh no that didn't work that didn't work he's like oh i got it this time and then he just like basically just picks harpo mm-hmm. um, and harpo's like what the hell and then jim was it groucho says the line he's like uh want you to know you're very brave and we're all going to be while you're out there risking life and limb um for us we're all going to be in here thinking of what a sucker you are mm-hmm. <laughs> and pushes him out into the cabinet and they like in the closet not even outside and they like lock him in this closet with explosives yeah which he then lights a cigar and then all sets all these explosives off mm-hmm. and it yeah it's insane but yeah that line is really really good and again really subversive what it, you know mm-hmm. what is it saying about the government rule, you know, the government class that just sends, you know, poor working class to fight their wars and, and they don't get their hands control. dirty. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't get their um, hands dirty at all. Groucho also gets shot in the butt and uh, he gets his head stuck in a big jug of water and Harpo paints his face on it. And uh, they eventually have to put like a firecracker in there to blow the jug off because they can't get him out of it. It's just ridiculous. Um, <laughs> But uh, they also, they go, they need help, they need reinforcements, and they eventually get a message out. Oh, they send Harpo out into the battlefield with one of those sandwich boards that says, join the army, see the Navy, to try and get <laughs> yeah. more recruits. And, yeah. But eventually they get help is on the way, and you get all this stock footage of, like, animals. and. Well, first they and... put, Harpo puts a help wanted sign on the door. Oh, yeah, he does put a help wanted <laughs> sign outside on the door. Yeah, and then you got like, firefighters, work. police on motorcycles, uh, monkeys, elephants, marathon dolphins, runners, marathon runners, rowers. Yeah. Um, but they, eventually, they end up going to Mrs. Teasdale's house, and uh, and the the Sylvanian soldiers start burst, bursting through the door, and uh, they're as they're coming through the door, they're smacking them on the head with a brick to knock them out <laughs> one by one. But they're they're taking their helmets off to see if it's Trentino, and then if it's not, they smack a brick on his head, yep. and then uh, they find Trentino and they put him like they nail a, a piece of wood on the door to keep him like almost his like head you know, bare, when, like a gallow okay. kind of thing. 
yeah, like the stocks, you know. Yeah. And uh, they start pelting him with, with fruit, and uh, until he says surrender, which he then surrenders. Um, Mrs. Teasdale says victory is ours and begins singing the Fredonian national anthem, and they turn their turn. attention to her and start chunking apples and stuff at her as <laughs> the credits go and the end of the movie. Oh my God, it's just so good. It was it like is really good. I love this movie. <laughs> so it came. It comes out in 1933. It performs well, but not as well as previous Marx Brothers movies. So that's like there's always been this kind of this idea that it was a flop, but it was it did well, but it just didn't do as well as some of their previous ones. And uh, it w- wasn't really until the 1960s when college students started to repopularize the movie. And and, and ever since what was then, going it's on in of, the 60s, yeah, it's bad stuff yeah. going on then too. Vietnam War, and you know, it's just like you know, that college age group uh, audience started to see and really appreciate the chaotic anarchy you know thumb in their nose at authority attitude of the marx brothers and that's really when this movie started to get lauded and really ever since then it's been considered their best movie and and um and has started entering into some of these greatest movies of all time lists and things yeah um it was um i was talking about the racism the italian racism racism uh, this movie was mm-hmm. banned by benito mussolini in yes Italy. it was um, he thought it was a personal attack, and he took it personally and was very offended by the movie and banned it. <laughs> yeah, I saw that, and apparently the Marx Brothers got a real kick out of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, on, so on, to- on top of being you know, the number 85 and number 60 on the AFI's t- greatest movies of all time list, uh, we talked about the Marx Brothers being number 20 of the AFI's greatest stars. It's also... American Film Institute did the top 100 best comedies of all time, and this was listed as number five. So according to the American Film Institute, this is the fifth best comedy movie of all time. I mean, Um, it it might be in my top five for comedy movies. It's definitely in my top ten. It might be in my top five, though. For a long time, this was not just... This was in my top ten best favorite movies of all time for me for a long time. And I think it probably still is definitely in the consideration to be in my top 10 favorite movies of all time. Um, yeah, I'm really big glad influence jumped. on Woody Allen. Um, Woody Allen's very loves Groucho Marx and loves the Marx brothers and, and kind of references them. And his, a lot of his humor is very Groucho Marxian. Um, and also the Beatles movies, the Beatles were the, yeah, how the just, Beatles act just in, like help. In, the humor yeah, is help like in the a hard day's help. night. It's they're it a hard very Marx brothers. Y. Which one um, also, is it, I think, with the uh, with the bathtub scene with John? Which one is that? That is A Hard Day's Night, I believe. Okay, so then A Hard Day's Night. Yeah, definitely reminded me of A Hard Day's Night. Yeah. Uh, Monty Python, too. I mean, comedy teams, uh, like the the wit, the cleverness. It's they. I think Monty Python owes a lot to the Marx Brothers. Yeah. Um, and so many other comedians from, you know, from all the way from the 50s and 60s all the way up till now have been heavily influenced by the Marx Brothers. Um, but that's kind of all I've got besides going into what makes it great. Do you guys have anything else before we dive to talk about what makes this movie great? No, I mean, let's, let's talk about what makes it great. Um, we've already like hit on everything. <laughs> we've already expressed how much we love it. <laughs> I know for me, it's just that the, it's the fact that this movie is just nonstop funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of future Marx Brothers movies, they have some slower moments of romance or story or musical interludes that 
oftentimes when I was younger, I would just kind of fast forward through some of those moments. Yeah, and get um, bored. This one is trim and quick to the point, and it's just so hilarious. They really emphasize jokes over plot or characters or anything, and it just never lets up. Mm. And for me, it's just the peak of those early Marx Brothers movies. Um, and on top of being hilarious, it's just the political farce and the anti-war message that is so effective. Um, really, really, for me, make this movie great. How about for you? Same. Um, We didn't talk at all about, like, the editing or the shots or anything. There's some really cool pans. I mean, you've talked about the pan with the bed with the shoes, you know, shoes Mm -hmm. and the horseshoes. Um, But there's, like, a couple really cool um, zooms and, like, almost it almost looked like a crane shot or two whenever they're doing some of their big musical numbers. Like, the production itself was really impressive. Um, Mm -hmm. The sound quality is really good. it has to be really good to catch all those jokes. But yeah, like you said, it is nonstop jokes. It's nonstop fun. Um, it has everything that I love about the Marx Brothers, and I think it's definitely their best work. Um, and I love, I don't know, I never really like looked at it. You know, I always watched this movie when I was a kid, so I never really like got any of the historical uh, context of it. And I, I, I love that. They're, they're so smart. Their humor is so smart. And it stands the test of time. Um, this movie's still topical, even more like you know c- applicable to today's situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I just love humor like this, and I'm, you know, this is like maybe not the birthplace of it, but this is like, yeah, it influenced so many people. Like this is definitely great, needs to be remembered and recognized. I highly recommend this movie to anybody listening. This is, you know, my bias is showing, but definitely one of my favorites, and you, maybe yeah, my you just... favorite through the whole list. Awesome. You just reminded me of one thing that you had mentioned before. You said you watched it with your roommate. And one question that I had for you was that, do you feel like this movie still holds up today? Does the com- comedy and humor still work on an audience that didn't grow up with it? Um, oh, yeah. He was because- laughing. He was? <laughs> oh, yeah. Awesome. Harpo's, or, or is it Groucho's jokes are just so ridiculous and so quick and so smart. Like, no, it, it stands up. That's good to know, because I remember I, I shared this story with you before that I tried to watch this movie and show it to some of my friends when I was in college, and they did not, it was not for them. Um, so I'm glad to hear that there are still some audiences in, the, in modern times that can still appreciate this movie and still think that it's funny, because I think it's, it is really hilarious. Yeah, by far. Funniest movie we've watched so far. <laughs> Definitely everybody listening, go check it out. <laughs> this is the first movie from the list that I feel like I can... I can, without reservation, recommend people check out, even if you aren't really interested in early film history or something. I think that there, that this movie is the first one that really could be entertaining to a modern audience. Mm-hmm. Short, easily digestible, and you can watch it like it's rewatchable. It's got rewatchability. You're going to miss jokes if you just watch it once. You got to keep watching it. <laughs> it's so short that it, this podcast is actually longer than the actual movie. Yeah, which... it really is. <laughs> But uh, we do have one other Marx Brothers movie on the list. It's not the next episode, but it'll actually be the episode after our next episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the very next Marx Brothers movie that gets released. It's A Night at the Opera from 1935. But oh, cool. up next, for our next episode, we will actually be talking about It Happened One Night from 1934. It was ranked number 35 on the original list and ranked number 46 on the updated list. And I'm excited to talk about this one. Okay, yeah, I've never even heard of this one. I don't know what it's about. One notable thing that I just will tease the audience with and tease you with is that It Happened One Night is the first movie 
and only one of three movies in history to win the Big Five Academy Awards. Best Picture, Best Director, Best Lead Actor, Best Lead Actress, and Best Writing. Wow. It is one one of of only three three in in movie history, and it was the earliest one to do it. The other two are One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and The Silence of the Lambs. Sure, both on this list, yeah. Yeah, I I think they both, those both movies, I think, are on this list. Awesome. So we'll get to eventually watch those two, but next up is It Happened One Night on the next episode. But for right now, my name is Andy Fernandez. And my name is Michael Fernandez. Thank you guys for joining us on What Makes It Great.